This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Calvary Online. I'm John. So glad you're with us. I hope you have a Bible with you today. We're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews together. It could be a paper Bible like this one. It could be on your phone like this. Whatever you've got, it'll be helpful for you, and it'll be helpful for me if you're looking at Hebrews chapter 4 with us. Hebrews 4 is dense. I guess we could say that about every chapter in Hebrews, but there's a lot in here and there's a lot to cover and some Old Testament references we'll be jumping to. So it'll be helpful for you and for me if you're looking at the word with us. It also would be really helpful for you if you weren't with us last time for you to check out the message that was in chapter three. You can click this link that's right here to check that out and get up to speed because the theme that we began in chapter three continues today. Before we jump in though, How many warnings do you think we encounter every day of our lives? I mean, there's all different kinds of warnings. There's weather warnings. We just finished summer here in Colorado, so that means we're probably through the season of severe weather warnings. You know, no more thunderstorm warnings, no more tornado warnings. It's fall now, which means we're all going to have to watch out for the first frost warning of the year so that we can cover our tomatoes and bring plants inside so they don't get killed by the frost. And all of our fingers are crossed when winter happens and we're all expecting a blizzard warning so that we can huddle up inside and fire up the snowblower. I usually listen to weather warnings. I think most people probably listen to weather warnings, but there's a lot of warnings in our world that we ignore. I discovered this week that there is a warning on the back of my tube of toothpaste, which says that you're supposed to keep it out of reach of small children. Please, please don't tell anybody this, but I have had three small children in my house for the last 13 years. I've never locked up my toothpaste. I didn't even know I was supposed to be careful about toothpaste being in the presence of a small child. How about these warnings from the CDC? I don't think anybody listens to those. I mean, who in their right mind would cook a steak all the way to 145 degrees? That's the problem, though. In a world that's filled with warnings... It's easy to ignore ones that matter. And Hebrews chapter 4 kicks off with a stern warning. Check out verse 1 of Hebrews 4 with me. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let's unpack two words in this verse, fear and rest. We'll start with rest. Last time, in verse 11 of chapter 3, we saw that this theme of rest, in a quote from Psalm 95, referred to the experience of God's people being freed from slavery in Egypt, delivered through the Red Sea by the power of God and the leadership of Moses, and then there was this period of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, which came before the promised entry into this land that God would give to his people. The promised land, a place for his people. That's, that, uh, this land was a, meant to be a place, a place of rest for the people of God. 
And if they made it there, they were going to experience rest because they were freed from their previous position of being in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt, free from their enemies. They were going to receive God's promise of a land of abundance. If you know the Old Testament, you know that God referred to this land that he would give to his people as a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was abundant and overflowing with God's promises that he would give to his people. And they would experience rest because they were no longer wandering in the wilderness, sort of aimless, without a home. They would now have a permanent place where they could live, a homeland. And most importantly, this place of rest would be in the presence of God. He would dwell there with them. He would be present there with his people. Now, this idea of rest that we saw unpacked in Psalm 95 and chapter 3 last week didn't begin just with the Exodus generation. In fact, it started in the very beginning. So turn with me in your Bible to the very beginning book. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 is probably on page 2 of your Bible, and just to make it easy, we will look at verse 2 of Genesis 2, which says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. This verse from Genesis 2, verse 2, is quoted for us in Hebrews 4, Verse 4, and it says that God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, does that rest mean that God just sort of kicked up his feet never to work again? Did God take a nap or just spend a lazy day on the couch? Did he sort of check out mentally because he was so exhausted from his work that he had done from his work of creation? Is that what rest means? Simply a lazy lack of work? Of course not. God is active and engaged in our world. But following the creation of the universe, he rested by celebrating what he had accomplished, by enjoying his creation, by looking over all of it, declaring that it was good and in his creation, filling the earth with humans whom he has called into his glorious ongoing work of cultivating and caring for the earth that he has made. Now, there are two unique things about God's rest in Genesis 2. First, the six days of creation are described throughout Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. It describes the way that God said, let there be light, and there was light, and that God created the world, and he created the oceans, and he told them to come this far. And every single day, the first six days of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 end with this phrase, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then it describes the second day. And there was evening and morning the second day. And so on. For all six days, every, every day of creation comes to its conclusion in this way. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. But not the seventh day. The seventh day doesn't end with that phrase that there was evening and morning. Every other day comes to a conclusion, but not the seventh there is no end to it. That phrase doesn't exist for the seventh day. 
because God's rest is eternal. It never ends. It continues forever, even today. Secondly, look at verse 3 of Genesis 2. It says, So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God's eternal rest is holy. It's set apart. It's altogether different from everything else. All right, turn back to Hebrews 4 and verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of rest, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So according to Hebrews, what we see is that God's eternal, holy rest can be entered by people. He welcomes us into his holy, eternal presence. How does he do that? By the blood of Jesus, by the work of Christ to save a people for himself, to set them apart, to make them holy for his purposes. Salvation, which is found in Christ alone, allows a sinful people, a sinful person like like me, to enter God's eternal holy presence with him. And the Exodus story of slavery, deliverance, wandering, and rest is a foreshadowing of God's work of salvation through Jesus. And the ultimate rest that we might enter is one of eternal rest in God's holy presence. But there's another word in verse 1. That word, fear. It says in the second part of verse 1, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And here begins the warning of this chapter. Just as we saw last time, some of that generation who had experienced deliverance from Egypt and bondage and enslavement, who had witnessed wonders and miracles by the hand of Moses, who had watched the Red Sea be parted by God, who had seen the pillar of fire, who had received manna from heaven and all the provision and blessing of God for food and water, and who were literally led by God's presence through the pillar of fire, who had received God's word, which was communicated from Mount Sinai. Some of those people failed to enter God's promised rest, which was pictured as the promised land in their day. Why? Just look one verse up at verse 19, the final verse of chapter 3. It says, So we see that they were unable to enter it because of unbelief. Unable to enter God's promised land because of unbelief. This is the warning that we can't ignore. Unbelief can keep us from entering God's eternal, holy presence. How could that happen? Verse 2 of chapter 4 says, Good news came to us. This is the audience that the author of Hebrews is writing to in the first century. Good news came to us just as to them the Exodus generation that had experienced all of that. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That's the opposite of unbelief. Faith, that we trust in God's promises, 
that we receive the gift of faith from God and actively believe, trust, and obey his son, Jesus. Verses 3 through 5 then go on of Hebrews 4 to summarize God's rest. And then verse 6 repeats the warning again. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, God's eternal holy presence and rest, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. See, it remains for some to enter it. This is an unpopular truth, but not all people, according to God's word, will go to heaven. Not all people enter into God's rest. Who does? Those who have faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's who enters the rest of God. Those who have faith in Jesus. And the warning is that we can hear the good news about what God has done through Jesus and fail to enter because of disobedience. Because of an unbelieving, calloused, hard heart towards God's word. So, should we all live in fear of failing to enter God's eternal holy presence? No, we are not called as a people to live by fear. We are called to live by faith. And faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. Verse 7 of Hebrews 4 says, And he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, not so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice today, believe. The, the unbelief, the disobedience here in chapter 4 is like a resolute, rebellious denial of what God has revealed about himself. That's the kind of unbelief that keeps a person from entering God's rest defiant, rebellious denial of God's promise. You know, all of us, at one point, were rebel sinners. We defied God. We disbelieved. But the good news is that God has revealed his son Jesus to us as a savior. And by his power has, has granted us faith to believe that we could experience salvation from our bondage to sin, and that we could look forward to a Sabbath rest for the people of God, as verse 9 says. And so the warning is that we would watch ourselves and that we would watch each other, as we saw last time, and encourage each other to follow Jesus. In fact, verse 11 says, Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive. We're together in this work. We are a community that's committed to each other. Now, let's be very careful here. We see a word like strive, and we can think that this all depends on us and our own work, that we have to work really, really, really hard, or there might be a danger that we would not enter God's rest, that these things ultimately depend on us that maybe we have to work really super extra hard to experience God's eternal holy presence with him, to experience God's rest. But we don't rest, finally, because our work is done and we did it and we did all the right things and we've appeased God. No, we rest because God's work is done. 
because it is finished through the final work of Jesus Christ on the cross, paying the penalty that we deserve to pay and allowing us to enter God's holy presence. All right, we began today with a warning. Let's end with the word. Verse 12 of Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. As we strive together to enter God's eternal, holy presence, we're called to be a people who are united around his word. And we're not just meant to hear the word and think, oh, that was interesting. I'll look forward to hearing more about that. Or I found that entertaining or that was somewhat enlightening. Or I think this guy, Jesus, is kind of a cool historical figure. No, we are called by the living and active word of God to shape our lives, to live a life that looks like Jesus, to learn about the life that Jesus lived and conform ours more and more into his likeness. Because the word of God is living and active. We are meant to do what the word says, to live it out. So we don't just hear the gospel, the good news. We live the gospel as the people of God. The word of God is living and active. And so it's meant to be active and alive in us, in our day-to-day life, every day. It's unlike anything else, unlike any other book, unlike any other word. Because it has this penetrating effect on us. Not just dealing with the way we live our life externally, the ways that are visible to others, but it has this effect on our inward reality, the way that we live that's only visible to God. And it's so sharp that it can cut through any heart, even even a, a hardened one, one that has been calloused by the hard deceitfulness of sin. I want to show you something quickly about the living and active word of God from the first four chapters of Hebrews. It is attributed to, in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, to four different authors. Chapter 1 begins by saying in verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say? And then it quotes an Old Testament verse. It, It attributes the living and active word of God to God the Father. Then in chapter 2, in verse 11 and 12, It says, that is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, and then it quotes another Old Testament verse. So in chapter 2, it attributes the living and active word of God to the Son of God, Jesus. Then in chapter 3 and verse 7, which we looked at last week, it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, So in the first three chapters of Hebrews, we see the living and active word of God attributed to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And today in our text, in chapter 4, and in verse 7, it says, Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying, Through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So in the fourth chapter, it attributes the word of God to a human author. It's a good reminder for us about the way that God speaks and reveals himself, that God the Father speaks, God the Son speaks, God the Holy Spirit, and God has used human authors throughout history to communicate and reveal his word to his people. 
You may know that Calvary is a part of a movement of churches known as the EFCA. And one thing that unites us together is that we have a shared statement of faith. And this is what we say as an EFCA church about God's word. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in its original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. We are called, my friends, to believe in the living and active word of God, to obey it, to conform our life to it, to look more and more like Jesus, to trust in it and all of its promises that it reveals to us. And we do all of those things as a guard against unbelief so that we might enter and receive God's rest, which is promised to us in his word. As we wrap up, I want to remind you about what Jesus said about his rest. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the beautiful thing about God's promised rest. That there is a future promise to be received one day when we will enter the eternal, holy presence of God. But there's also a here and now to God's rest to be experienced today by people who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We can stop scurrying around to secure our own salvation. We can cease being constantly anxious about whether our life is good enough for God, worrying about whether or not we'll measure up in the end. Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me, the Lord of God's Sabbath rest, and I will give rest to you. You notice that God's rest is a gift from Jesus. It's a gift given to you, offered to you freely, and all you have to do is receive it. It's unearned. What qualifies you to receive it? Simply that we come to Jesus which is just another way of saying that we have faith in him. With all of our labors and burdens that we come to Jesus in faith, by believing in who he is and what he has done. Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Through faith in Jesus, you will find eternal spiritual rest for your soul that was foreshadowed by the earthly Sabbath rest for God's people in the promised land. If you haven't yet found rest for your soul in Jesus, today is the day to turn to him in faith, to place your faith and your trust and your hope in him and find rest for your soul here and now and forever. Lord Jesus, we bless you for the gift of rest, for the gift of faith that is found in you. I pray for my friends who are watching or listening today, that you might speak faith into any heart that may not yet be believing, 
that you might reveal yourself, that you might gift them the gift of rest that is found in Jesus. We pray too, God, that you would give us the courage to stick close to Jesus, to follow him, to obey him daily, to hear his word every day as long as it's called today, and to live by faith, not by fear. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.